Hey friends, welcome to the Redeemer Queens Park podcast. Redeemer exists to help connect Jesus to people, people to community, and community to mission. We're gathering on Saturdays at 3 p.m. to worship God and fellowship. If you ever have any questions, or if we could be of help in any way at all, then please give us a shout at hello at redeemerqp.com. We hope you'll be encouraged as you hear another one of our Bible talks. Let's listen to the next episode. Okay, great. So I'm going to read for you. So how about you grab a phone right now or your Bible? Um, Your phone might be your Bible. Uh, That's a good thing. Um, because I've seen so many people tied to their phones, they're probably reading the Bible, and that's an amazing thing, right? Oh, I got you. You got me. Anyway, <laughs> we are in First Peter, um, chapter two, verse one through to ten. I'm going to read it for you. It says, "Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind." Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Not that you have tasted, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scriptures it says, See, I lay a foundation, a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Amen. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is a loss uh, what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now... You are the people of God once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is God's word. Tom is next up. Thanks, Louise. Yeah, I'm now welcome to those that have been given. It's really good to see each of you this afternoon. Thank you for being here. Before we uh, move all the way into this, the church, a spiritual house, and a royal priesthood, I just want to say thank you again to all those who've loved my family so well over these last couple of weeks. It's just been, just been really trying. Uh, your love, your care, your affection for us has been tangible at times, and I, I am very grateful. On behalf of a, a grateful and loved family, thank you. Thank you to the leaders of this church, the staff. Thank you. We've experienced what it is for the church to be a spiritual house. I've experienced what it is for this church to be a royal priesthood, and I am eager today to get alongside of you and to encourage you to continue in it. Let's start here. The early church became a counterculture. I don't know about you, but I've, uh, I've noticed uh, this can be a, a tricky place to be the church. This can be a tricky place to live out the way of Jesus. 
tricky for many reasons. The sights, the sounds, the temptations, the lifestyles. Man, I'm trying to, I'm trying to follow Jesus on a, on, a sh- on a tight and narrow path. And uh, there's, there's a lot around that makes this a tricky path to walk. Thankfully, there's much we can learn. We can go all the way back to the early church, and we can pay attention to their life. We can watch them. We can listen to them. We can read the history about them. And we can figure out how they navigated. That'll help us navigate as well. So let's think about the early church. You couldn't peg them as a liberal community or a conservative community. They were different and distinct from both in different ways. Their distinctive life together is what made them alien. Their distinctive life together is what made them foreigners to the people that they were around. So they were just passing through. Consider the life. They didn't go to the bloodthirsty gladiator games, and this made them considered to be antisocial. They didn't serve the military support of Caesar's tours of conquest. They were, listen to this, they were against abortion and against all infanticide, which Roman culture had tons of space for. Roman culture, if you had a baby and you didn't like the gender of it, you were allowed just to leave the baby out just to go. Church wouldn't have it. The church stood against it. The early Christian church empowered women. The early Christian church allowed women to be in places of leadership that ran counter to the society of its day. The early church was against sex outside of marriage. The early church was against same-sex marriage. The early church was radically for the poor. And the early church gave to the poor in ways that were outstanding. They were astounding to the outside world. The early church, they managed to mix races and classes together in ways that the culture around them considered to be scandalous. The early church was a melting pot in their gatherings. You'd look around the room and you couldn't even tell what neighborhood you were in. You couldn't tell where these people were really even coming from. Lastly, they believed that Jesus Christ was the only way for salvation. So think about what this means. The early church then believed that the Greeks and the Romans around them were indeed pagans. Everyone else was pluralist and polytheistic when it came, and they came along and said, no, 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 in love, there's only one way to be saved. The early church, no one had ever seen a group of people that held up one way of salvation. And this is a movement that exploded, moved around the world at rapid pace, and this entity called the church is still here today. So the early church was a different culture. This might sound liberal. Depending on the seat that you're in, you might hear that list and you say, oh no, this is a pretty liberal community we're talking about right here. You had a group of people that was radically for the poor, a group of people that was all about empowering women, a group of people that was all about mixing classes, a group of people that was against militarism. That group would sound very, very liberal. Some of us hear this and we think, man, I don't don't know, like that's a pretty liberal community. But some of this sounds very conservative as well. Depending on the chair that you're in, you might hear this and think, I don't know, man, this is a group that's against abortion. This is a group that's against sex outside of marriage. This is a group that's against same-sex marriage because they believe the Creator has a better idea. This is a group that proclaims Jesus is the only way of salvation. I don't know, man, this, this group doesn't sound liberal to me. This group sounds very, very conservative, perhaps too conservative. And that's the early church. You couldn't pack them. They didn't fit into either culture. But here's the issue. 
If, if you and I were to choose a path of assimilating into the culture and not being distinctive from it, then we wouldn't suffer. That's the temptation, though, isn't it? Even as we read this letter here, there's some of us that can really resonate with 1 Peter. So we know what it is to live distinct, and we know what it is to be called for it. But if you do what Peter says, and you choose to live amongst your community, you'll suffer. It's a suffering worth having as well. So if we choose to assimilate all the way into the culture, I'm not talking about don't contextualize, don't live close enough to have an influence, of course. But if we assimilate all the way in to where there's no difference between the two, you won't suffer. Or if the strategy would be to like kind of go by and like a gospel drive-by on the culture, just go in just enough to land an attack and then to withdraw, you won't suffer. But if we choose to live all the way into it, to be like salt that's rubbed all the way into a good steak to where it seems to have disappeared of sorts, but it's going to bring about a distinction, they'll be suffering. This is what Peter's calling for. Living among the community, loving the community, being a meaningful part of the community, loving people, being amongst people, living your lives intertwined with people, but doing so in a distinct way. This is relevant. This is relevant because every culture will vilify and love things about Jesus. Every culture will vilify and love things about the church. And everything that we're about to get into is said with that in mind. Early Christians, they were seen as a, they were seen as a threat to their society. This, this is a dangerous bunch of ideas to be mixed up in one group of people to an outside world. But the early church was actually found not to be the worst citizens of their society. They're widely praised to be the best. Did you know you can go and you can read literally news reports from the Caesars? They would send spies amongst the Christians. And there's literally reports saying, listen, I'm trying to find something against these people. Whereas we don't give to the poor, but we'll have sex with anybody we want. These people... They, they withhold on the sex, but they're generous with their money. Like, I've never seen anything like this. And this was the church. It's changed the world. So what did that group of people need to hear? What do you say to that group of people to strengthen them and encourage them? Well, thankfully, we have part of it right here. 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 10. We can look at this. We too can learn. We too can listen. We too can grow. Let's just hit it at rapid pace. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 10. First, you see that word, therefore. And also, we learned this last week. Whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, you ask, what's it there for? What's the wherefore? Everything that comes next is in light of what was just said. So if you want to understand the context for this next phrase, this is the cash-out application for chapter 1. Rid yourselves of all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, and evil of every kind. That would sound like a rule. That would sound like a burden if you didn't keep in mind this is right on the heels of the gospel. This is right on the heels of the news that God loves you. God has sent His own Son to the cross for you. So believe on Him. And as you believe in Him, we'll be about this business. They have been suffering. There's three ways that you and I can suffer today. You can suffer because you do stuff that's wrong. Creator has made this world and everything in it. His word tells us, it's a bit of like a, a user's manual, an instruction book on how this whole thing's supposed to run. 
And if you and I choose to live against the grain of this good creation, we'll suffer. There's ways to live this life and there's ways not to live this life. You live against the grain, you'll suffer. There's another way to suffer. You can not only suffer for doing bad, you can also suffer for doing good. You can suffer for living the way of Jesus. You can suffer for being distinct, for refusing to fully assimilate and go all the way in. Thirdly, speak to you personally, you can suffer because you suffer. Job type stuff. Guys walking around with Jesus, man born blind, disciples eager on this one. Who sinned, Jesus? This man or his mom and dad? Who sinned that this guy got born blind? Jesus says, listen, I'm not gonna get into all that, but I will tell you the glory of God is at stake in this moment. You can just suffer. Well, these had been suffering because they've been living for Jesus in a foreign land. Maybe there was a concern. Maybe there was a concern that for these believers, their season of suffering could have turned into a season of sinning as well. Ever notice that about pain? Ever notice that about seasons of suffering? Seasons of suffering can kind of lead you to feel like you're a bit of a cosmic victim. Seasons of suffering can lead you to think, you know what, the whole world's against me. I think I'm gonna start nibbling on the edges of this sin over here. Before you know it, a season of suffering leads into a season of sinning. Maybe that was the concern. Maybe that's why these group of people needed to be called to holiness. Hey, listen, I know, I know, I know it's exile, I know it's I know it's foreigner status, but listen. Holiness, let's get on with it. Let's not, let's not mess up. Let's not slip, not, not here. So the letter comes in. And what does the letter say? The encouragement that dings on the phone. It's like, look, it's time to do away with those former things. Even in the season of suffering, it's time to put it aside. So we put aside all malice. It's the drunk drawer definition for bad stuff. Maybe you got a malice box in your house. I got one. It's in my kitchen, and it's actually from uh, our, our, our landlord. He actually just keeps it there, and it's like a bunch of like his junk. And moving in, I'm like, do we get to like send this with you? He's like, no, 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 you keep it. And I'm like, is this just because I'm American? But like, we got this landlord's junk drawer in the house, you know? Maybe you got a junk drawer as well. The Bible calls for your spiritual junk drawer. It says, listen, it's time to bend it. Let's get it out. Deceit, not telling it straight, not living clearly. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is actually a theatrical concept. You hear this, you think about, you know, one of those theaters that's a little short on cash, doesn't have enough money to go around and pay everybody. So what they do is there would actually be these different characters that would go out on stage and they would be wearing a mask. And you could so clearly tell it was like the one from the scene before, but he's acting like he's not. Like, that's actually where we get the concept for hypocrite. It's like, Dude, you were just here and you were like playing the other side and now you're back playing this like we know what's going on. In the same way, letter drops and it's like, look, you gotta quit playing both sides. Envy, competitive sin. We looked into this as a community a couple months back. It's being happy when others are sad and it's being sad when others are happy. He's like, look, that, not in wartime, not ever. Get that out of here too. It's land of every kind. Rid yourselves, put away. It's the idea of changing clothes. You can imagine somebody comes in. It's not like, hey, like, done with the jacket. It's like, no, jacket off, toss the jacket aside, and move away from the jacket. That's what this says. Just made me think this last week. What sins do we need to put away? Holy Spirit, leave you with that one. Next verse. Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk, 
so that you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. So once that old life has been put aside, it's time to get growing on the new. So Peter invokes the language of a a fresh baby. Uh, Greek language here actually leads us to the type of a baby that's fresh out of the chute. Uh, Greek, not me, so don't be mad at me. But Peter's in here saying, look, you got to remember. Remember when you were hungry for the word? Remember? Like you just couldn't get enough. You woke up ticked that you couldn't have it. Just started crying and getting around it. He's saying we need that again. We need that again. You need that in the, in the time when you feel like an exile. He's saying, you feel like a foreigner? Yeah, don't slip into the, sea, the sin season. Get back into this season. Word is what we need to grow. The idea is that we grow in our salvation. And for those of us who have been walking with Jesus for a minute in this room, this is something especially for you. A.W. Tozer once says, we are caught in the spurious logic of thinking that having found him, we no longer need to seek him. I think Peter could hear a bit of that, or maybe Tozer could hear that in Peter. When you become a Christian, you finish one journey and you start a new journey. When you become a Christian, you finish that journey of searching for the way, searching for the truth, searching for the light. You complete that journey of looking for a spiritual fountain. You've completed that journey of searching for bread that will satisfy a hungry soul. And now you begin a new journey. You begin a journey of growing and understanding who God is and how he's loved you completely in Jesus Christ. You begin a new journey of learning what it means for Jesus to be the new king and boss of your life, how he runs the whole game. And it's often our pride that gets in the way of that. Maybe Peter knew his Bible. I bet his Bible would have been the Old Testament, would have had Psalm 34, verse 8. Reese brought this into our prayer time on Monday morning. It was so good. Knew it had to be here this week. It says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Jonathan Edwards would say there's two ways to know that honey is sweet. You can read the books about honey. You can get around the books. You can study up on honey. You can study what it looks like in a picture. Maybe even, you know, fancy a walk over to the co-op, pull some off the shelf. You can stare at the, stare at the little plastic jar of honey. You can, you can kind of smell it without removing the seal, of course. Don't be a bad person. Like, I mean, you got to get around the honey. There's another way to know how sweet honey is. Just a drop on the tongue will provide more knowledge and more of a sensation than all the books in the world ever could. Saying, get into this. Don't just know about God. Know God right now. Don't just be living according to what other books say. Just get into the book. Most drug dealers, if they're any good, they'll comp your first hit. Like, where is he going now? I know, it's like, (laughs) whoa! (laughs) Welcome to church, man! I've heard at least. Most drug dealers will comp your first hit. Amen. Yeah. They'll comp that first hit because they know the power of that first taste. They know they let you get in on one. You'll be breaking into people's houses to steal TVs and toasters off the counter to come and get another one. We got to remember what that first hit tasted like, church. We got to start reorging the whole day to get around the second hit of the word, at least. So here in Redeemer, listen, that's why when you come in here each and every week, we're not reading popular books. You get in here every week, we're not putting TED Talks on the board. If, if you come around here and you're not hearing the word of God given out, 
do two things for me. First thing, make a fuss about it. Start complaining to people, start chatting up the other elders, start complaining to your community group, like try to change the place. And if you still don't hear it, go find another church that'll give you the word. It's how we're gonna grow. It's a word of life, nothing else. If we come here and we don't hear the word here, we ought to leave here. You come get me as a pastor if I fail to bring you this word. Benefits of growing up as well. We're told to long for the word. Long for the word. As foreigners, as aliens, as people who don't have power in a foreign culture, we're told to long for this. Apparently, I'm not smart enough to totally get this one. It's the only command in all 10 verses. Long for the word. Long for the word. And it's a spiritual discipline. It doesn't come naturally. We kind of got to like working out or eating healthy or starting this or stopping that. You kind of got a program for it. You got a plan for this. If we could just taste and see, if we could just spiritually remember how good that first hit was, we ought to be running back. So verses four and five says, as you then come to him through this word, as you come to him through this word, he's about to switch metaphors. And Peter Peter's pH balance, I don't know if it was like absolutely there when this got written because he's just like one metaphor, okay, yep, and another metaphor, okay, you got some, another metaphor, I mean, he is, he's going, not like I feel right now. He says, once you come to him, this living, this living stone, so let's think about this, it's a big and important metaphor, so big that we need to just camp here for just a few minutes, because the Bible gives us multiple metaphors to understand who the church is is. Let me give you just a few of them right here. One metaphor for understanding what does it mean for us to be the people of God. One metaphor is that the church is made up of many members that comprise the one body of Christ. Romans chapter 12 verses 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members and the many members don't all do the same function. So we though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So the church is a people not necessarily the steeple. And when we get around for church, one thing we'll notice is, look, we're all kind of put together differently. I mean, not just skin color and stuff like that, but like, no, we're actually put together differently in terms of our giftings. What we want, we want to be a type of community. We're figuring out, what do you have? Okay, I ain't got that. You, you come do that. What, what do you got? You got that thing. Cool. Do that for us, and I'll come, and I'll try to do this for us. And We want to be a church. One body, many members. The head is Christ. Also, the church is the bride of Christ. See this in Revelation chapter 21, verse 9. Come and I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Also given in Revelation 19, 2 Corinthians 11, and Ephesians 5. Church is also the family of God. 2 Corinthians 6, 18 says, I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters with me, says the Lord Almighty. That's why it's actually still appropriate for people within the church, whatever kind of cultural background you're coming from, it's okay to still call each other brother and sister, the same spiritual father. And he considers us to be family. It'd be great if we didn't only call each other brother and sister, but we acted like it more and more over time as well. Church is God's house. Hebrews 3, 6 says, Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast to our confidence and our boasting, and our hope. Same concept you see in 1 Timothy 3 and 1 Peter 4. We'll hit it in a couple weeks. 
And finally then, what you see in 1 Peter chapter 2, what's about to happen in the next few verses is this. The church is the temple of God, built with living stones, with Christ as the foundation and cornerstone, and the Holy Spirit dwelling within. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 11 says, No one can lay a foundation other than that which has been laid, and that is Jesus Christ. And this is the big idea in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and 1 Peter right He's switching metaphors again. He just used an infant metaphor, and now we're into a stones metaphor. Peter's about to quote from the Old Testament. I want you to be able to read your Bible well. He's about to quote from the Old Testament to show them you, the church that Peter was writing to, you are what God's been building this whole time. As we read this, we see we are part of this. So what does all this stone stuff mean? It's a reference to an Old Testament concept. Like the first part of your Bible, there's this thing called the temple. And the temple is where the Spirit of God dwelled. The temple was built on stones, and there were four stones that were always talked about. A living stone. You see an idea of a cornerstone, a capstone, a stone of stumbling. Now Jesus has come along as this living stone. The point is that the New Testament church is what this Old Testament reality was pointing to all along. Church isn't this new idea that God's just kind of going and flowing, Jesus and cross and resurrection. It's like we need something else in the story. Let's kind of let's go with the church idea. No, like church is what God's been building this whole time. What Jesus came for. Isaiah 28.16 shows us this was in view a long ways off. So this is what the Sovereign Lord says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious corner zone for a pure foundation. The one who relies in it will never be stricken with panic. So Zion's the holy mountain. Sinai was the mountain of the Old Testament, Old Covenant. Zion is this new mount of a new covenant. So Jesus is the cornerstone of a new covenant, a new set of promises and way to relate to God. What does the cornerstone do? Well, a cornerstone comes along and makes sure the foundations and walls get built right through the whole thing. And this means how we can know we're doing it right as a church is we're always looking to Jesus, measuring on Jesus, thinking about Jesus. Is this how this wall ought to come up? I don't know. Let's look down at Jesus. He's the cornerstone. And it goes. The cornerstone comes along, makes sure the foundations and the walls are flowing right. And you can hear what Peter's doing next. So he's saying, see, this is what he's been building. And you, church, you're wondering, why is it so hard to live the way of Jesus in this world? When Jesus, the cornerstone, he's actually the stone of stumbling as well. Psalm 118, verse 22 says, the stone the builders rejected became the cornerstone. So Jesus is the lowest. He's also the first. He's the one that got it all started. He's also the highest. He's the the top. He's the last. He's the final stone as well. And he was rejected. And this is the word that a church needed to hear that was feeling like they didn't fit in with the culture of which they were a part. Feel rejected? He was rejected. Feel like you're just, your life is just tripping up all the time? People tripped up on him. You feel like this is like the thing 
for the good of a community and the good of a city, but it just seems to be the biggest headache sometimes, that was him as well. It's important for Christians to know that Jesus was rejected so that they can remember that when they themselves are rejected, they're rejected for the way of Jesus. So Peter is telling these people, he's telling these Gentiles, he's telling these foreigners that they are counted as Israel. So Christian, we have been engrafted into this Old Testament story of this Old Testament temple. This is what Peter has for these New Testament believers. So in verses nine, verse 9, think about this language with all of that in the background as concept. You're a chosen people. You are God's special possession that you can declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Verse 9, darkness and, and light in Genesis 1.1, it's God who's actually separating the light and the dark from each other. 2 Corinthians 5.17 comes along and tells us there's something new that God is creating out of nothing, and that is a church. He's creating us, and we have salvation. Verse 10, once you were not a thing, now you are a thing. Exodus 19, God's people in the Old Testament, they failed. Jesus, the true and better Israel, the true and better Adam, he did not fail. And God is accomplishing his purposes in the world through his son by planting a church. The church, as much as it might not feel like it, with the Chartwell's chart on the wall, an old beat up school floor beneath your feet, yeah? Drinking tea out of some little paper cups. We're part of something that's eternal and it will last forever. You are part of something, new believers. Few of you put your faith in Christ in the last couple of months. You are now part of something that is greater than its parts and it's built on a sure foundation. So he says, once you were not a people, but now you are a people. And he's doing this thing on the Old Testament language. The, the word for people would be um, and the word for no would be low. And in the Old Testament, God's actually delivering a heavy word to the prophets. And this same concept is like way down there in the layers of meaning. And he, God's actually saying, listen, you were going to be my people, but because, because of your sin, you're low um, you're not my people anymore. But now God has sent the Savior and he looks to a group of people that we deserve to be not my people. And he says, you are my people because of the grace that we have through the Son. This means we are a holy nation then. So for, depending on where we're coming from, the United Kingdom is not our nation. Pakistan is not our nation. India is not our nation. Italy is not our nation. France is not our nation. Africa is not our nation. America is not our nation. You are citizens then of a holy nation. This means you are not an individual Christian, but you're a citizen in a bigger plan. Well then, alienation is not an option. We are now living stones. We're being built on Jesus and built upon one another as well. So what do we do with all of this? Whenever we read the text of Scripture, we're trying to ask three questions. Like, what does this say? What does this teach me about thee? What does this teach me about we? What does this teach me about me? I mean, look at this. Think of everything you can see here. What does this teach us about God? God has a plan. God's building something. What God's doing now is not some new, last-ditch, attempt-to-be-relevant idea. 
this is the thing. This is the project that he's always been about. What does this teach about we? This, this is incredibly important. I mean, coming in here, like, I mean, could have been in the park with a bottle. I mean, you could have been doing anything, but like prioritizing this, this is important. This is including in that thing he's always been doing and he's always been about. What does this mean for me? He's looking at this group of people saying, don't let, that, don't let that suffering season become your sinning season. He's looking at this group of people saying, have you done everything you can to grow up into this salvation and to be about this big project? The three ways we can apply this. Gil, why don't you come on? A little down payment that we're almost close to the finish line. Come on, Gil. Jokes. Put them right here. You can pick them up when we're done. Um, three ways we apply this. How about, how about these three? We'll go. So let's grow up into our salvation, church. Peter has to write to them and says, listen, you need to get growing. You need to get going with this thing. Holds up the word and says, here it is. I just wonder across the room, like who, who of us needs to hear this is like, yeah, I need to grow up into my salvation. It's incredibly important. Herman Bovink would say, where God's word is, there's God himself. And there's God's spirit at work as well. There God establishes his covenant and there he plants his church. Let's get into the word. Second, if this is what God is about, then let's give our lives to building up his church. He tells these, he tells these saints about these different stones and he's like, look, you're a living stone. You're in this thing. There's no Old Testament temple anymore. This is the reality. You can meet in a school hall. You can meet in a fancy building. You can meet in a theater. We go meet in the middle of the park if you wanted to. This is the reality. So let's give our lives to investing in this reality as well. Finally, let's grow up. Let's build up and let's speak up. Let's turn the sound up on our testimony of how he has saved us. He looks at you and he says, because of what my son has accomplished for you, you are now a royal priesthood. What does a priest do? Well, priest business is reconciling man to man and God to man. These priests have some heralding to do. Because listen, you've been given a glory story. You got, you, you got a testimony now. You were in darkness, now you're in the light. You were not my people, but now you're my people. There's a story to be told. Some of us need to see this summer season as a sharing season. We got a story to tell. Meditating on Christ, this, this cornerstone, you gotta ask, like, what are we building our lives on? Are we building our lives on Him or on something else? On this person or another person? I love what Peter's doing with the stones and all of this. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus has this very special time with his guys. He takes them out to Caesarea of Philippi. He stands in front of a, a rock wall that was actually covered with the idols of the nations. There's actually a river flowing out of the rock. And that river was understood to be the gate that would actually lead into the afterlife. Jesus stands here in Caesarea of Philippi. He's asking his guys, who do you understand that I am? And Peter, Peter nails it. Peter, Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus responds, yeah, Peter, you got it. And I tell you that you are Peter. 
And on this rock, I will build my church. I wonder where Jesus was pointing when he says, on this rock. Was Jesus pointing at the rock wall that had the idols of the nation stamped upon it? Was Jesus pointing at some dude named Peter saying, you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're the rock? Can't help but imagine Jesus is pointing at himself on this rock. Over and against the gods of the nations. Over and against our own stumbling and fumbling about that we're full of. He's saying on this rock, I will build my church. All the stones to keep up with. We've got a cornerstone. We've got a stone of stumbling. And we have this stone right here. Let's conclude here. Leslie Newbigin, missionary and theologian, once says the church is an entity which has outlasted many nation states and empires. And it will outlast those that exist today. The church is nothing other than that movement launched into the public life of the world by the sovereign Lord to continue that which he came to do until it is finished when he returns in his glory. It has his promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now think about this. In spite, in spite of the crimes, the blunders, the compromises, and the errors which has stained its story and stain its story to this day, The church is that great reality in comparison with which the nations and empires of civilizations are a passing phenomenon. Started with one rabbi and a few dudes. And we're here. You are part of something God has been building all along. So I think Jesus can look at a guy named Peter. He's called the rock, right? Jesus says, yeah, Peter, I can take even you. And he can take even us, people that we would just trip over our own selves. And Jesus can transform us to become living stones that we can be put into something on which he is the cornerstone. And he can use us. He can work through us because he and he alone is the cornerstone. With that in mind, I want us to take the Lord's Supper today. A few friends are going to serve us this meal. Let me chat with you as it's coming down. Um, in the next few moments, this is for people who are a Christian. Um, in, 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 this, in this church family, it doesn't matter. Like wherever you're at church, wherever you're reporting that Christianity, if you're here today, you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you. So get one of these as, it's come, as it comes by. If um, you're here today, you're not a Christian, or even there's something in your heart that would almost prevent you from from taking this meal. Just just let the basket pass. Nobody's really paying attention anyways. And in this moment right here, don't let the opportunity, don't let the invitation of this moment pass you by. So this is a meal for Christians when we celebrate God's love for us and when sending His Son Jesus to the cross for us to die for our sins. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, perhaps you don't even know, you've just been kind of around this for a while, just... Just consider, this is a memorial meal for when Jesus made a New Testament covenant. He made a promise to his people that his body and his blood were going to be broken and poured out for us so that we could be made right with God. So Christians around you are about to celebrate this. And if that's not you, then we encourage you. Believe on Jesus. Receive 
his body and his blood through the gospel right now. And next month when we run this back, celebrate with us. Before the church, on the night that he was betrayed, try to do this, hold the microphone. There was, uh, there was a few things present at this meal. There was bread, there was wine, and there was a lamb. What set this meal apart from the other times it was celebrated in the, New Te- in the Old Testament is that the, the lamb was present at the table, but the lamb wasn't laid up, cooked on the table. The lamb of God was seated at the table. And the lamb laid down a new covenant. He said to a group of people that don't deserve it, I don't deserve this, we don't deserve this. He said to a group of people that he was choosing in his grace, this is my body. He says it's about to be broken apart for you. We who have enjoyed Christ, let's take, let's eat, and remember him. says after they ate, they drank. So we have this little thimble of juice we get into. But we look forward to taking of the vine with our King and Savior in glory. The Bible says he passed this around the table and the, the promise he was making through this, he says this, this, this is going to be the blood of a new covenant. And it's through this blood we have forgiveness of sins. Bible does something interesting with the taste of this. It actually tells us that as long as we do this, we remember our job is to actually proclaim him. So with 1 Peter today, remember, let's, let's drink and let's take nourishment from this to go out and to proclaim again. So they take and drink. Last week we learned for You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living word of God, which was broken, which was poured out for your salvation. Church, be encouraged. Draw strength. Take identity from this again. You are what he has been building this whole time. It is now our time. So let's be the church together. Father in heaven, we pray that these identity-shaping metaphors of one Peter would be ours. We pray that you would help us to live true to what you say we are here in this text of Scripture. We pray that in the days ahead, when we're tempted to live another way, either in a season of suffering or in a season of pilgrimage and exile, that we would remember we're that special possession according to you. We are your chosen people. We're that thing that's enduring and outlasting all sorts of kingdoms and empires and civilizations. It's us, and it's all because of you. So together, we thank you for your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would help us to rest in him and to depend on him now. For anyone who's here today and not a Christian, Father, we pray you would reveal yourself through these moments, and even as some people stand and sing, we pray they would accept that invitation to build their life on Jesus as well. So, Father, here we are, your people, needing your nourishment, needing your strength. We pray that you'd meet with us for your glory. We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Cornerstone, let's go ahead and stand up and consider where we're building our lives. Let's set that intention together.